Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Today was going to be a praying church, and I thought, that's a good topic and can run with that. But then as I kind of got into it, I was like, now this is bigger than one week. And next week was going to be um, a generous church. And then the week after the 15th, we've got our kids celebration service. Uh, Marion Modra, our children's pastor, will be leading that on the 15th. And the 22nd was going to be a serving church. And I was like, yeah, I can run with that. That's fine. Um, but then I thought, no, I reckon we need to do two weeks on prayer. So today we're going to do um, like Jesus at prayer, praying with Jesus. We're going to look at how Jesus prayed and what He prayed uh, as, a, as a starting point. And then next week, we're going to do a praying church and look at how the early church in the New Testament, how they prayed, what they prayed. So we're going to do two weeks of prayer uh, and then our kids service. And then I'm going to combine a generous church and a serving church into one. Because I reckon they fit together, right? If you're generous, you serve. If you serve, you're generous. So we're going to roll them into one message uh, in October 22nd. Then October 29th, Dave will be back and he'll be preaching at our big 150th. And I will give just an extra special um, icing on top of the cake that Leona already baked about the 150th. Yes, come and reach out to people who used to be part of this church or Mount Barker. Uh, I said that to someone this week and they're like, oh, but what if they left on bad terms? I'm like, even more important, reach out to them and say, hey, Jesus loves you. <laughs> come to the 150th. Uh, come and join us. So if you've got family members or people that you know, maybe they've moved away, uh, moved down to the plains, down to the big city there, uh, invite them along to the 150th, 50th on the 29th. Invite your neighbours. Like, invite your enemies. I don't mind. Just invite people to the 150th, okay? Um, so as we go into prayer, oh, I thought I'd just share just a, a few minutes, if that's okay, because I realised today, this is only my third time preaching here this year. And I realised that I've kind of just been, you know, parachuted in as a campus pastor of Mount Barker. And it's like, who is this guy? You know, where's he from? Can we trust him? What do we know about him? Normally in Baptist churches, you know, you have this scrutinising of the pastor, you know, you get things up on the screen and... And I know, like, I know you trust me. I trust you guys. But I thought I'd just share a little, little bit of the journey. I uh, shared a bit of my story uh, last year when I preached. But just my ministry journey. And um, it's not that exciting, but I'll just share it with you anyway. So in the, in the mid-90s, I started studying. Uh, some of you weren't born then. I get that. But I started studying uh, at Theological College. Became an ordained minister with Churches of Christ in Melbourne did my Bachelor of Theology with honours and my advanced diploma of ministry. I was all ready to go and then realised, you know, two or three years in, oh, there's so much more to learn about this than Bible college teaches you. Um, I continued to do some studies. So I did a, a Master of Philosophy uh, and did a 50,000 word thesis on the role of hospitality in the mission of Jesus in the New Testament. And I looked at how the early church grew and thrived and just went, you know, catalytic in its growth through the homes of Christian people, 
through people opening their homes. And you're kind of like, Nick, why did it take you 50,000 words to do that? I don't know, that's just what they wanted, 50,000 words. Um, I started a ministry, a youth ministry. I did three years student ministry, a few years in youth ministry. So have a lot of respect for youth ministers. It's an important job, Ben. Uh, it can be challenging. And we'll be praying for Ben and the team this week as they have youth camp uh, next weekend. Keep Ben and the team in your prayers. And then went into about 2002. There was nothing against Church of Christ, if you're Church of Christ background. But I went over to the Baptists. And that's, that's who we are, right? Baptist 2002 and was kind of worship pastor, young adult pastor for about seven years at a big Baptist church in outer suburbs of Melbourne. And by the time I got to the end of that, I was thinking, do I really want to do this? Am I any good at this? Do I know what I'm doing? Um, it's tough. It can be challenging. Get your violins out. There's Robin Carter over there. He's like, I've been doing this 45 years, you know. He's a champion. It can be challenging. And I kind of finished that ministry and thought, oh man, is this what I want to do? And we went to England for a year, Amanda and I. We had a great year in a a large Baptist church in England um, and worked with a really great senior pastor, uh, great preacher, great teacher, kind of a key leader in the Baptist church in the UK. written lots of books and stuff. And I got my my sense of passion back for the local church and, and seeing that the local church is such a, a powerful tool in God's hand when we're walking with Jesus. And I came back to Australia in 2010 and um, then started a ministry, my first senior pastor role at a church in Melbourne called Q Baptist. And it was a tough few years to start with. It was a church that was about 160 years old. It was kind of um, quite traditional and formal in the morning. And it had this growing kind of chaotic young adult ministry at night, which was attracted me to it. But the first three or four years was tough. Uh, I think I was a little bit rough around the edges for some of the morning folk and um, we had moments. Um, But anyway, I lasted, was there 10 years and we saw like hundreds and hundreds of young adults and uni students come through that church. Um, Many, many people come to faith. Many people sent out onto the mission field. Many people sent out into various ministries and it was a real blessing and we were there till 20 21, went through 2020 lockdown for nine months. I just got to say, look, you don't understand in South Australia what lockdown was like, but that's okay. I'm glad you didn't have to endure it, but it was tough. And through that time, God kind of put it on my heart to start praying about what was next. And here we are in Adelaide, started at Mount Barker, senior pastor, um, October 2021, and then entered into the amalgamation journey. It's been a wild time since then. Uh, So that's kind of a bit of my journey and um, that doesn't mean I know a lot or I've got lots of experience. I've just made a lot more mistakes and hopefully learned from some of them. So as we head into um, this ministry of Jesus in prayer, I want to say that prayer is, um, anyway, I've got that on the record now, by the way, that bio, so it's out there. If you ever need to check, just watch the YouTube and uh, you can see what I've done for the last 25 years. Prayer is often misunderstood. It's often underutilised in church. It's often neglected, misdirected, distorted, devalued. But prayer can lead to great blessing. It is a privilege. It is an honour. It is a gift. And yet prayer is mysterious, challenging. Our flesh, our sinful nature hates prayer. And it's often the last thing we do after we've tried everything else in a situation. We know from history, from church history, from Bible history, 
that when people, when God's people get serious about prayer, even one, two or three, just a small group, when they enter into seasons of sustained, sacrificial, heartfelt, soul-stirring prayer, we know that things happen, things move. God breaks through. And over this next two weeks, we'll focus on prayer together. Today, Jesus, next week, the early church. We can say two things for sure about both Jesus and the early church regarding prayer. Jesus was a man of passionate prayer and the early church prayed with passion. Now keep that in mind because Jesus is a model for us in prayer. The early church is a model for us in prayer. We can learn from them. And some of what I'll say today is stuff you already know, stuff you've heard. And sometimes in church, sometimes when we gather together, it's just about reminding each other, being reminded of what we know and stirring it up again and taking hold of it again. I think that's what the Lord wants to do this morning around prayer. So I'd say this as well, after being a pastor for a few years, um, prayer can be a struggle and it can be hard. And I've struggled with prayer and I've had seasons where I found it hard. It's not easy. It can be hard work. And it can be tough. And we'll see this in the life of Jesus and next week in the early church. Now, Jesus was fully human and he was fully God. But his prayer life serves as a profound example for us because it was conducted in the context of his humanity. So what we see in Jesus, what we hear in Jesus, we can put in place. Keep in mind too that Jesus was unique Fully man, fully God. He had a unique relationship with his heavenly Father that we don't necessarily have because we're not the Son of God. But we learn a lot and we can take a lot from his earthly prayer life. I want to say about Jesus' prayer life, firstly, how he prayed. And I'd say the first thing is he prayed with intentionality and with discipline. Jesus was intentional about prayer. It wasn't just kind of random, um, you know, whenever, whatever. It wasn't just necessarily left to when he felt like it. Jesus was disciplined and intentional in the way he prayed. And he was Jewish, so he grew up within the context of the people of God in Israel. And they had a rhythm and pattern of prayer. He would have memorised um, a lot of the Old Testament, he would have memorised and known a lot of the Psalms by heart. So his prayers would have been laced with Scripture, with the Word of God. He would have prayed at certain points throughout the day as a rhythm. He would have prayed every week with the people of God on the Sabbath. And do you, I thought about this this week. I reckon it's safe to say that Jesus would never have missed a Sabbath worship time with the people of God. Unless he was out in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days or whatever, it was too far away from the synagogue. Jesus anchored his prayer life in weekly gathering with God's people, week in, week out, his whole life. He had a discipline about his prayer. He prayed regularly. Luke 6, 12 says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. He spent the night praying to God. He did that intentionally. It wasn't just a random thing or an off-the-cuff thing. Oh, I might just head out for the night. He would have planned and prepared to go out for that night and pray to his Father. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning. Oh my gosh. 
I woke up at like 4.30 this morning because I was worried about, you know, whether my phone would go ahead for daylight saving. And I, and I left it on. I never leave my phone on at night and you shouldn't leave your phone on at night either um, <laughs> by your bed. Um, just, you know, who wants messages all night? Turn it off. But I left it on and thankfully no one messaged me at 3 a.m. But I woke up at like 4.30 thinking, oh, it's probably 5.30, but my phone had gone ahead. So it was actually 3.30 a.m. Anyway, so bear with me here. It's been a, a long morning already. So Jesus, very early in the morning, back to the text, Nick, while it was still dark, he got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Jesus had this rhythm of getting up early, going off to be by himself to pray. He was intentional about praying. He was disciplined about praying. Sure, he was spontaneous and free and open in prayer all the time, but he had an intentionality and a discipline that we can learn from. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's fine, Nick. Jesus was a single guy. You know, I've got like three kids, I've got a full time job, I'm working, I'm studying, it's busy. I just can't find the time. Life's so full on. Well, okay, it's not like Jesus was lazy and he had heaps of time. Be intentional. Be disciplined. Do you know where we get the word disciple? It comes from discipline. A disciple is disciplined. And that's okay. And Jesus was disciplined in his prayer. Whether it's early morning for you, whether it's late at night when everyone's gone to bed, or whether it's driving to work or on the bus on the way to work, I don't know whether it's in the toilet, in the shower, whatever. Have a space where regularly, where it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20, half an hour, regularly you pray. And for me, it's mornings. Um, I love that morning time. And I find myself quite often waking up early. And, and Sunday mornings, I love getting up really early and just spending a couple of hours with the Lord in worship and prayer and just anchoring uh, my life in those times of prayer. So Jesus was intentional, disciplined. Now, secondly, Jesus prayed alone and he prayed with others. I know it's two points, but I'm just going to make it one for the sake of it. Jesus prayed alone and he prayed with others. I love this about his rhythm. He was able to be alone with God. Now, I find sometimes in church communities, I've spoken to people that are like, I hate being alone. I don't like being alone. Um, I, I don't like, you know, I've always got to have distraction. I've always got to be doing something. I don't like silence or stillness or being alone. I'm like, That's okay. And don't feel bad about that. Um, for some people, it's easier. I'm an introvert. So it's easy for me to be alone. I love times of aloneness. I love times of just solitude um, and, and being alone. I, I enjoy that. And for some, that's a different thing. You're an extrovert, you're a social butterfly, you're always with people, you're active, you're busy, you're kind of a let's make it happen person. And being still or silent or alone freaks you out a bit. Well, that's okay. Um, but let's look at Jesus. Luke 5.16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew from the crowd, from the pressures, from the busyness to lonely places. And the word in the Greek is like where we get the word for desert, like wilderness places. Jesus withdrew to wilderness lonely places for solitude. Now keep in mind that loneliness isn't a good thing. 
Loneliness is terrible. And it's a problem and a blight in our society. Loneliness is a real problem. There are a lot of lonely people. I think they wrote a song about that years ago. Um, You can look it up later. Uh, There's a lot of lonely people, which is terrible, but solitude is chosen aloneness. Loneliness is unwanted isolation. And there's a difference. And Jesus chose solitude. So I'd say... um, Mark uh, and Robin leading the retreat together. I think you were involved too, Mark. Um, and that's a great place to set aside that day. You could be intentional. You get two of these points in one day. You could be intentional. You could plan to be there. And then you could spend some time alone with God. So Jesus loved that. And he was able to do that, to just pause and stop and be with God. I was in Israel a few years back and was kind of walking by the Sea of Galilee early one morning, got up like 5am and I was walking along, the water was still and it was just quiet and it was so peaceful and I just was praying. I think I'd put my phone on, I was listening to worship music and just worshipping God and just imagining Jesus walking along that shoreline and a a song came to me. I know we don't do hymns much these days um, but let me quote one to you. It was written by a guy called John Greenleaf Whittaker. And it's the most beautiful, for me, I think, a beautiful hymn, just beautifully written. And he has this verse in the hymn, and it says, O Sabbath rest by Galilee, O quiet of hills above, where Jesus knelt to dwell with thee, to share with thee the silence of eternity interpreted by love. And I just remember sitting by the Sea of Galilee and just imagining Jesus praying, kneeling there, enjoying communion with his Father in solitude and silence. We need that. Our souls need that from time to time. In the pressures of life, in parenting, all of that, just finding five, ten minutes to be alone with God. Jesus also prayed with others. Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, whatever he said before Luke 9, 28, he took Peter, John and James with him and he went up on a mountain to pray. It's the first prayer huddle ever. He took Jesus, James and John, three guys, and he went up to a mountain with them to pray, to pray together. And you see it in the life of Jesus. He prays in the synagogue with the people of God each week. He takes a group of three, he takes the 12, And he loves to pray together with people as well. We need the encouragement of praying with others. And I'd put it to you, this might be slightly controversial, but I'm ready for it this morning. Um, You don't really know someone until you've prayed with them. You don't really know someone until you've prayed with them and heard them pray and hear their heart and hear what God's doing in them. You get to really know people when you pray with them and when you hear them pray. And I just imagine, imagine what it would have been like to sit around the fire at night with Jesus when the stars were brightly shining across the black velvet of the night sky, the sound of silence permeating the atmosphere and listening to the prayer flow out of Jesus like an eternal spring of living water and the eternal life and love of God resonating deep in their thirsty souls as they listened to every word he uttered. Imagine hearing Jesus pray. Jesus prayed alone. He prayed with others. Thirdly, Jesus prayed passionately and wholeheartedly. He was gutsy 
in his praying. He was gutsy and visceral and real and earthy in his praying. Do you remember the day that Jesus cracked it? I mean, church long enough to remember the day when Jesus blew a fuse and he'd come to the temple in Jerusalem and it was meant to be a big festival of worship to God and prayer. And they turned it into this circus. There's like people selling stuff everywhere. Today we call them ministry resources. No, we don't. People were selling stuff in the temple, making money, and they just had completely lost the plot about what this festival was about. It was meant to be about the celebration of God and thankfulness to Him and praise and worship. And Jesus entered this scene, enters this scene, and a fuse just blows. And he flips. And he grabs a cord whip and he starts hitting the tables and turning them over and pushing the money changes out and creates a scene. It's quite challenging for us to consider. Jesus, tender, meek and mild, says the old Carol. Why was he so upset? Well, fortunately, the Gospels tell us. Luke 19, 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, He began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, He said to them, My house will be a house of prayer and you have made it a den of robbers. My house will be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of robbers. He saw the prayerlessness in the people of God. He saw the prayerlessness in the temple of God the circus and the selling. And he was broken by it. And he was angered by it. Jesus prayed passionately and wholeheartedly. There's a verse in the Bible, which is perhaps just a, a little obscure. It's in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It's going to be up on the screen. And to me, it's quite an insightful and yet disturbing description of the earthly prayer life of Jesus. And I'll tell you why. This is what it says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. It's just a little cameo verse here in the book of Hebrews, but it actually says a lot. And what it says is very challenging. I'll tell you why it's challenging. It's these two words here with loud cries. Now, when people were reflecting on the life of Jesus and the author of Hebrews is listening to eyewitness testimony about the prayer life of Jesus, people described hearing and seeing Jesus pray with loud cries. Now, the, the challenging bit is that the word cries in the, in the Greek is actually yelling loudly, like, it's, it's a word that's used to describe the raucous crowing of a crow, like a guttural loud croak and cry. And that's enough, right? That's enough just to say that Jesus was passionate. He prayed loudly, cried out loudly. But then they use an adjective to qualify that verb. And the adjective is strong or powerful. So it wasn't enough for the writer to say, when we reflect on what we saw and heard in Jesus' prayer life, He would pray, He would cry out, He would cry out. They had to add, He would strongly, loudly cry out loudly. And you go, okay, well, maybe that's Gethsemane. 
Maybe that's on the cross. They're just thinking about when he was on the cross, that's when he cried out like that. That's when he was so passionate. But actually read the verse, during the days, plural, of Jesus' life on earth, people saw and heard Jesus praying in such a deeply guttural, visceral, powerful way. And you go, okay, is that just cultural? They're just a bit more passionate back in the day. You know, for us, you know, stiff upper lip, kind of polite Westerners, we, you know, we don't pray like that. We'd find that uncomfortable. That would be uncomfortable. <laughs> Why was Jesus so passionate? Why was he so powerful in prayer? What was he crying and shouting loudly about in prayer? I was thinking, perhaps Jesus was praying about the carnage and utter desolation of centuries of war and violence among humanity. Perhaps he was praying about the abuse of little children. Perhaps he was praying about the millions of people starving to death through the greed of others. Perhaps he was praying about husbands and wives betraying each other. Perhaps he was praying about the poor and needy being exploited by the powerful and crushed. Perhaps in his anguished times of prayer, he feels the full weight of the utter blackness and vileness of human evil. And he can't help but cry out and cry out loudly to his Father. Perhaps in those moments, he was praying for you. He was crying out for you and for me. And John 17, which we'll look at in just a sec, says that he was. Jesus prayed for those who would believe in him. He was praying for you in those loud cries and those shouts. He was praying for your salvation. And here you are, if you know the Lord. So Jesus was intentional and disciplined in his praying. Jesus prayed alone, but also with others. Jesus prayed passionately and wholeheartedly. And just to, this is kind of a bonus section. Um, what did Jesus pray about? That's kind of how he prayed. It's not everything about how he prayed. It's just some things. And this isn't everything that Jesus prayed. This is some of what Jesus actually prayed. So this is John 17, John chapter 17. We get like a ringside seat into the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible. It's like we get to be in the room and hear what was on the Son of God's heart just before He goes to the cross to give His life for you and for me? What's He praying about? What's on His heart? And we see a few points that come out of that prayer in John 17. I won't read the whole thing. I'm just gonna pick some pieces out of it. But these are things that you and me, we can pray for ourselves. We can pray for our family. We can pray for our church, our friends, our workmates. We can pray um, for our world. He prays for our protection. He says in verse nine of chapter 17 of John, protect them by the power of your name. Father, protect my people by the power of your name. Verse 15, he says, Father, protect them from the evil one. We can pray with confidence for God to protect us and to protect believers from harm. 
But there is a little catch. There's always a catch, right? Because he prayed that for his followers then and those who would believe, which is us. But apart from Judas, who took his own life, only one of those 11 remaining disciples died a natural death of old age. That was the Apostle John. The other 10 lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus before their time. So you're like, hang on, didn't Jesus pray to protect them from harm? What's going on here? Did God not hear his prayer or maybe he didn't pray hard enough? Of course not, right? Of course God heard his prayer. Of course God answered his prayer. So it's like to me as I think about that, for Jesus, death is nothing. For us, it's huge, right? It's scary. But for Jesus, death is nothing. So when he's praying, protect us from harm, he's not thinking about our physical safety and not dying before our time, sorry to say. Um, He's like, no, there's something worse than death. Something worse is to die without Christ, to die unrepentant, to die having moved away from your faith or denied your faith. That's far worse than death. And so Jesus prays, protect them, Father. Protect them from the evil one who wants to snatch away their faith. Protect them from this world which wants to smother their faith. Protect and preserve their faith in me, their salvation. And you can pray that for yourself. We can pray that for one another. The next thing he prays for in that prayer is for unity. He prays for unity in the body of Christ amongst believers. Verse 11, he prays that we would be made one. Verse 20, that all of us may be one. Verse 23, that we would be brought to complete unity in order that the world may know that God sent Jesus and that God loves us just as he loves Jesus. Do you know that was one of my, let me put it out there, one of my kind of personal fears through the amalgamation journey that we've had, which has been a good journey, it's been challenging. But one of my fears was, oh my gosh, what would this say to the wider community of the Adelaide Hills, the wider Christian community, the non-Christian community, if two churches, two Baptist churches couldn't work out a way to join together and serve Jesus? What would it say? What sort of witness would that be? What sort of testimony would that be? And verse 23, that we would be brought to complete unity in order that the world may know that God sent Jesus. Our unity is a witness and a testimony to the world around us where there's fragmentation and division and all sorts of um, dissension. Unity is actually a witness to the mission of Jesus to the wider world. It's not a wishy-washy unity. It's not kind of a fake agreement among Christians. It's a unity based on the biblical revelation of who God is and what God has done in Jesus. When we agree on that, when we're united in that and united in who Jesus is and the gospel of Christ, that's the unity that brings a blessing. And Jesus says, pray for that unity. Pray for the unity of the body of Christ. Thirdly, Jesus prays for our inner spiritual lives. Quite fascinating that often in the New Testament, you don't see necessarily prayers to remove people from their circumstances, as hard as they might be. You see prayers for strengthening of character and faith in the circumstances. This is what Jesus does here. Verse 13, he prays that we may have the full measure 
of Christ's joy. Verse 18, that we would be sanctified, consecrated. That means set apart for God's special service. That our hearts would be set apart to serve God. Verse 24, that we would see the glory of Jesus. That our hearts would see His glory. Verse 23, that we would be in the Father and the Son. That we would have unity and union with God and Christ through the Holy Spirit. He prays in verse 26, this is an amazing prayer, that the love of God the Father, the love that God the Father has for Jesus, Jesus prays that that love would be in us, that we would love Jesus like God the Father loves him. Jesus prays for our inner spiritual lives, prays for our hearts, because that's where the battle is, right? That's where the battle is in our faith. And you see it so often in the Bible. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts might be opened and enlightened, that we might be strengthened with power in our inner being. You're a mum, you're a dad, you're working busy in a job, you've got lots of pressures and demands. Sometimes we, you're going through a hard time, a hard season, we're like, God, get me out of this. God, take me out of this. God, remove the circumstances. God, remove the pain. And God's like, Jesus is praying here. No, I'm praying for your inner life. I'm praying that you'll see me more powerfully in that season. I'm praying that you'll know my joy more deeply in that pain. I'm praying that you'll know my love more richly in that hardship because that's what you need. Imagine the people in Ukraine right now, the Ukrainian Christians who a couple of years ago were just gathering for church like this and having coffee after and going out for lunch and then their nation has been plunged into war for the last 18 months with no sign of ending. Imagine what it's like for them. Imagine they're praying, God, stop this war, cease this war, fix this situation. And we're praying that. We all should pray that. We want God to change and change, break in in situations, break through, and He does and He will. But ultimately, they need their faith strengthened. They need to know that Jesus has got this, that He's got them, that they can have joy in Christ. They can have union and fellowship with Jesus. Thanks for that clap, Ben. I love it. I'm not used to it, but keep it coming. Um, They can have their hearts strengthened in faith no matter what the circumstance. Whether we've seen over the years believers who've been put in jail, imprisoned for no crime of their own, and yet finding Christ in those dark cells and his love. Jesus prays for our inner spiritual lives. He prays, fourthly and finally, for his mission, for our mission. It's not just about our unity, our inner spiritual lives. He prays for our mission. He says, Father, don't take them out of the world. And then he says, verse 18, Father, send them into the world. Not just this kind of little Christian bubble that we live in. He says, Father, send them into the world. This is why I came. Verse 20, he prays for those who will believe in him through our message. He prays for those who will come to faith in him through our message through the work of the church and Christians in the world. And he prays that the world may know, in verse 20, that God has sent Jesus and believed. Jesus prays for his mission, which becomes our mission. And ultimately, there's no fruitful mission without prayer. Um, if, you know, if we wanna know the power of the Spirit in our lives and the power of God in a fresh way, I think it's more likely gonna happen when we get 
onto the road that Jesus wants us to walk, the road of making Him known, sharing His love, sharing His Word. Because you can't do that. I can't do that on my own. We need God's power. We need God's grace to do that. So Jesus prays um, not everything that He prayed, but these are four things that we can weave into our lives, into our family, our church, our friendship, our workplaces, praying for protection, for perseverance in our faith, for preservation of our faith, praying for unity among believers, unity in the church, in Christ. We can pray wholeheartedly for that. Praying for our inner spiritual lives, for God to do a work in our hearts, to change our hearts, to set our hearts free, to set our hearts on fire with His love. And we can pray for His mission, which now becomes our mission to make the good news of Jesus known to those around us. In that room 2,000 years ago, when we share communion in just a moment, I want the team to come up actually. Thanks, folks. We're going to share communion. And I was thinking of Jesus in that room sharing that communion before he's about to go to the cross and praying that prayer and praying for you, praying for me, and just thinking that Jesus is a high priest who sympathises, empathises with our weaknesses. He gets what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to struggle as a human being. He gets you. He feels for you. He loves you. And you know the one thing that I think really glorifies Jesus is, is when we pray to Him, when we pray in His name. It shows that we trust Him. It shows that we love Him. It shows that we rely on Him. It shows that we want to be like Him. When we pray, people, Jesus is glorified. When we pray, our lives are transformed. We're changed. God changes us through prayer and through His Word, through fellowship, through worship. And when we pray, hope is revealed. Others hear and see and come to know the hope that there is in Jesus. Jesus is a model and example for us to follow in prayer. We're not Jesus, I get that. But He, as a human being, showed us what a life lived in deep prayerfulness to God looked like. And it's a life that He has for all of us. Prayer is not just for super spiritual people. I was thinking just recently, I don't need to pray because I'm spiritual or I don't pray because I'm spiritual. I pray because I'm unspiritual. I pray because I battle with the flesh and the world and the devil. I need to pray because I can't win or fight this battle on my own. I need others to pray with me. We need to pray together. And we have times in our church when we do gather to pray. Sunday mornings up here, 8.15am. It's beautiful. Community of prayer happening there every week. Dwelling place once a month. Coming up next Thursday night. An intentional place to set aside to pray. To gather. Not as a guilt thing. Not as a compulsion thing. Just a time to set aside a place to pray. And your life groups. Your huddles team that gathers each Tuesday, the staff team, we anchor the week in prayer and in the Word. And it's a beautiful thing to be gathering together as God's people praying. Let me pray and we're going to sing and then share communion. Father, we thank You for the life of Jesus, Your Son. Thank You for His, His prayer life. Thank You for His intentionality, His discipline in prayer. Thank You, Lord for His willingness to pray alone, to be alone with You 
in communion and fellowship. Thank You that He loved to pray with others, pray for others. Thank You, Lord, so much for His passion and compassion in prayer. Lord, we ask You today to help us to pray, just as the disciples of Jesus said, teach us to pray. Lord, help us to grow in prayer. Help us to deepen in prayer. Help us to expand in prayer. Help us to learn more about prayer as we pray. Help us to break through in prayer. Help us to have seasons of prayer. Help us, Lord, to take hold of what You have for us in prayer. Help us to receive the blessing of sustained sacrificial prayer. Help us, Lord Jesus Christ, to pour out our hearts to You, to cry out, for our broken world to cry out for those who are hurting and struggling in our lives, to cry out for our families, for children, for people who don't know You. Lord Jesus, stir us up, stir us up, Lord. Release in us a fresh passion, a fresh power for prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us for relying on our technology, relying on our competence, relying on our intellects, relying on our own human strength. Forgive us, Lord. How silly (laughs) when the Creator of the universe who spoke galaxies into existence can change a situation just with a word. Lord, we seek Your face this morning. Lord, we seek Your face as we come to share communion in a moment, Lord. Stir us up. Stir us up, Jesus, to see You afresh, to see Your passion, to see Your power, to see Your beauty, to see Your great salvation. We love You, Lord. We love You, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.